You are listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'd like you to open them up with me to the book of Jude. The book of Jude, it's that small last little book before the book of Revelation, toward the end of your Bible. And we'll be looking at verses 12 through 25, finishing up this epistle today. I've entitled today's message, Pretenders versus Contenders. Pretenders versus Contenders. Join with me now as I pray and just ask the Lord to speak to our hearts. Father, I do thank you for your word to us, and I ask that you would give me the grace today, Lord, to speak these things from the scripture that you would long to speak to your people. And I pray, Lord, that you would give open hearts today, open ears to hear those things that can be spiritually discerned as the word comes alive. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've been looking at this letter. This is, of course, written by Jude. He's introduced himself as the brother of James, who is also the half-brother of Jesus. And he writes of this letter to encourage the church to contend for the faith. He tells us that up in verse 3. He said, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude lets us know that I was going to write just a letter to encourage you about our faith. But I found it necessary and the Holy Spirit impressing upon him to actually challenge you to contend for the faith. And he tells us why. He says that there are ungodly men that have crept in unnoticed in your midst. There are some ungodly uh, influences creeping into the church. Imagine that even in the early church, there were already outside influences kind of moving in to this beautiful thing the Lord has called his church. And so we find that these words speak to us today as well. We too must be contenders for the faith. And he's going to talk to us a little bit more uh, in the verses we'll be looking at uh, concerning the character of these ungodly men, what to look for, the kinds of traits and and, uh, behavior patterns that come with people that are not really sincere, pretending to belong, but really not so. Last week, we looked at some of the examples he gave us from the Old Testament Bible. He talked about uh, the unbelief of the children of Israel in the wilderness that did not go into the promised land. He talked about even angels and their rebellion. We spoke of Sodom and Gomorrah, Cain, Balaam, Korah, Jude, drawing from the scriptures of the Old Testament to kind of illustrate the heart of rebellion, pride, and some of the unbelief that these ungodly men were bringing in, their influence into the church. And today he's going to give a little more inside information on their behavior patterns, what to look for in these pretenders. And then he will close with giving us very practical ways in which you and I can contend for the faith. I think that's the real meat of the letter, is he kind of warns, but then he gives the encouragements of how to live for the Lord, how to contend for our faith. But pick it up with me now, and let's look at this description of some of the pretenders that Jude warns of, 
verses 12 through 15. These are spots in your love feasts. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds. They're late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame. Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Quite a description of some of these ungodly influences that had crept in to the church. Again, we see Jude minces no words. He pulls no punches. He says it straight up. These guys are trouble and you need to look out for them. You need to watch out for them. He, and he gives us some of the things to, to be uh, watching for. One is they're going to be very self-serving. He says there in verse 12, there are spots in your love feasts while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. In the early church, part of their fellowship practice was to come together and have a feast together, come together and have a meal. And each would bring something like we do on occasion when we have a, we call it a potluck. Everybody brings some food and then we break bread together. And it's done in a spirit of love, everybody kind of coming in love, and, and they called them love feasts. And in the early church, they would often, often include a time of communion at the end of their love feasts. And Jude is saying, look, these people, they're coming as though they belong. They're coming and they're fellowshipping with you in these love feasts, but they're really there for selfish purposes. Watch out. They're not there to love and help and serve. They're there for self-serving reasons. And he gives some illustrations, some natural illustrations to help us realize that these guys are pretenders. He says they're clouds without water. They're trees without fruit. They're waves with only foam and they're wandering stars, maybe a shooting star there in a flash, but gone. He gives us an, an idea that these guys come in, they look good. Some clouds, they roll in. In California, we, we need rain, don't we? Every time we see clouds, we're hopeful oh, maybe this is the end of a drought. And then when the rain doesn't come, oh, those clouds, what a waste. And that's what Jude is saying. It was the same way in that culture, you know, rain meant water for their crops. And the, the farmer would hope for the cloud, but then it would pass by without water. So it, it showed great, but there was no substance. We see that in the trees without fruit. We see that in waves. They, they crash on the shore, but they leave only foam after they're gone. And again, the, the wandering star, that shooting star, a big splash in the sky, but then it vanishes. Outward appearance without true spiritual substance. They say in Texas, tall hat, no cattle. Outward pretenders. They talk a game, they, they show up like they have game, but they are really pretenders. He says that Enoch prophesied of these types of individuals. Uh, 
Now, Enoch, he was the seventh from the generation of Adam. You can find his story in Genesis chapter 5. The Bible says that he walked with God. He was a man of great relationship with God. And it says that God actually took him. He didn't die. He just, at, at the end of his life, God just brought him up into heaven, a, a rapture, so to speak, of Enoch. And the book of Hebrews speaks of Enoch as a man of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, he makes the heroes of faith chapter, saying that Enoch, by faith, walked with God and pleased God. Well, apparently, Enoch also recorded some prophecy. We don't have this book of Enoch. We don't have this prophecy for us. It's not in our Bible. We don't have the record of that. But obviously Jude, in his day of writing, there was other Jewish writings that he had access to, and he he finds this prophecy by Enoch that fits the description of these men and their destiny. And he includes it for us in the Bible. And of course, it fits with all the other doctrines of the Bible. So what Enoch writes is really consistent with what the Bible already says in the New Testament. And that is that Jesus will be returning with his saints and that he will be bringing a judgment on these ungodly unbelievers. And that's true with the Bible today. We, we believe that Jesus will return again. We believe first he will come for his church, and then after a time of great tribulation upon the earth, we believe that he will come with his church, and that will be the final day of judgment on all ungodly, all unbelievers, and Jesus will establish his kingdom on the earth. And so Jude is letting us know, look, these guys may be pretending, but in the end, God will ultimately deal with them, and this is our hope as well. He talks about some behavior patterns. Look with me, verse 16. He says they're grumblers, complainers. Interesting. Any of those patterns in our lives on occasion? Walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. They come into your midst, and they act as though they belong. They participate in many ways, and they have kind of this flattering, oh, we love it here, you're so wonderful. But then, over time, you begin to see little seeds of discord. They become grumblers, complainers, and they begin to walk in their own lust. They have maybe their own lifestyle issues, and it begins to manifest over time. Jude is warning. He's saying, these are the things to look for. They're not going to come in and be obvious to you. They're going to come in and be pretending to be something that they're not. And I think that this is true today as well. I think that we have to have a certain amount of discernment as Christians, discerning when people come into our fellowship. But not only that, I think we need to be discerning with just some of the the winds of doctrine that blow through the fellowship, blow through the church. You know, certain ideas that kind of creep into our culture, they have a way of migrating into the mind of the believer and they come into the church. And those things need to be discerned. Are those things truly of the Lord? Are those things just kind of ideas, noble thoughts from men, or do they really line up with the scripture? There are a lot of so-called good ideas masking themselves as noble ideas, but really They have an ulterior motive, an ulterior purpose. And so as believers, Jude is concerned, and I think we should be concerned too. We need to be discerning Christians. 
We need to be discerning because what we're going to find out is you're going to need that discernment if you're going to contend for the faith. Jude finishes this letter, and we will too. Take a look with me now. He's going to talk about contending for the faith. Pick it up in verse 17. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. There are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. But you, beloved, building, up your, excuse me, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. After warning us, the the things to look for, the things to be discerning, he now encourages us. Here's how you contend for the faith. Do these things faithfully. He gives us at least four things that I'd like to draw to your attention here this morning. The first thing we notice about contending for the faith, how do we respond in these times? He tells us to remember. The first thing we have to do as believers is we have to remember. Remember the words which were spoken by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to know and be mindful of the word. What did Jesus say? What does the New Testament teach? These are the truths that we need to remember. It doesn't matter what this person's saying, what they're saying, what wind of doctrine is blowing in. What did Jesus teach? How did the apostles apply his teaching? What did they write in the New Testament? Remember the word, the teaching of Christ and the apostles. He says to even be mindful of the warnings. There were specific warnings that Jesus and the New Testament teach that in the last time mockers would come. That, there, that you would not be caught unaware, that you would not be surprised that in the last days, lo and behold, there are mockers of the Christian faith. Jude experienced it in his day. We're a lot closer to the last days than he was. And we can say, honestly, there are mockers of the Christian faith. We're seeing that even become more prevalent in our culture, in our time. Christianity becoming marginalized. Christians being kind of categorized in an unfavorable way. Mocking the faith, mocking the Christian truths. We've got to remember the the warnings. We knew these things would come. And so we're ready. And that helps us to contend for the faith. That they would be walking according to ungodly lusts, these mockers. That they would be sensual, not having the spirit. And that they would cause divisions. This word sensual, it really means natural or carnal. It doesn't necessarily mean sexual but rather just they're people devoid of the spirit. They, they operate only with their natural senses. Everything is according to their logic, their plans. They, they walk only in man's wisdom. They are not really enlightened by the spirit. 
And I think that we see that even today. The Bible says that the the carnal mind, the natural mind, cannot truly understand and apprehend spiritual truths. And he says that these these guys are going to come in and they're going to try to, by natural means, dissuade you from spiritual truth. And they cause divisions. And I think that we must be discerning in our day and time as well. Not everybody who calls himself a Christian is spiritually minded. They, they don't all have the spirit. They're not able to really see spiritual truth. So remember, remember the word, remember the teaching, remember what Jesus and the New Testament have taught us. The second thing we can do to, to contend for our faith, the second word we see there in verse 20 is to build, to build. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. And he gives us a number of things to consider. How do I build myself up on, my, on the holy faith? Now, I'm not building my faith so much. I'm building on the faith. What faith? Well, the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. The truth of the gospel. The truth of Christianity. That's our foundation. We have that. It's set. It's not to be altered, changed, or in any way you know, manipulated. But we build upon that in our own walk in Christian life. How do we build on this faith? This is how we contend for the faith, building upon the foundation. Well, he gives us a few ideas. First of all, he says, praying in the Holy Spirit. Wow, what a surprise. One way to build, pray. (laughs) Of course, the obvious thing, sometimes so obvious that we forget to do them, praying But he says, praying in the Holy Spirit. This is the way you build on your faith. You pray. Praying in the Holy Spirit, I think that certainly means prayers that are directed by the Holy Spirit. We saw that in our study in 1 John, that God desires us to pray according to his will. And how am I going to pray according to his will unless it's in cooperation with the Holy Spirit? Jesus teaching his disciples to pray in the model prayer Let thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this praying in the Holy Spirit is praying under the direction, the guidance, the insight of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we bring our requests. Yes, we cast our cares. But we also try to discern how the Lord would lead us even in our prayer life. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Prayer is not just me talking to God. It's me fellowshipping with God. It's me bringing requests, but also allowing God to influence and direct my time of prayer. So praying under the direction of the Holy Spirit. But I think this may also be a reference to praying with words given by the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks of this spiritual gift, the gift of tongues. And this is a prayer language that God actually gives to the believer. And they're not praying their natural language. They pray an unknown tongue. They pray a word to God inspired by the Holy Spirit. You say, well, that sounds a little weird and spooky. Well, it is different. It is, I don't want to say spooky, but it's spiritual. And the Bible talks about this. We see it throughout the book of Acts. They spoke with other tongues. The Bible gives us a little insight into what they were saying, because in Acts chapter 2, when those that did understand the tongue, 
He said, we hear them declaring the great and wonderful works of God. It is some type of a prayer language that exalts and praises and gives thanks and glory to God. Now, how many believers could use a little help in vocalizing prayer that would glorify, edify, and praise the Lord? That's the intention of the gift of tongues. Tongues is not a useful gift for for other things in the body of Christ or in our walk with the Lord. And we've seen abuses in, I guess we'll just call it Pentecostal overreach, if you will, where tongues has become something that God in his word really never described it or defined it to be. But we can't recoil from the abuses and say, well, well, let's just stay as far away from that as we can. I don't need the gift of tongues. It's too weird. And of course, the abuses, they are weird. But there's also something legitimate about praying in the spirit. There's something legitimate about God helping us in our prayer language. And the Bible, although it does give guidance in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul has to kind of correct some misuse on the gift of tongues. Because they were using it to try and edify others. And Paul is saying, listen, when you're speaking in tongues, nobody else is benefiting. We don't know what you're saying. No, if you're going to speak in the spirit, you need to speak in our language. And that's called prophecy, a word you know, speaking forth a truth that the Spirit would give you in a language we understand. That's the better gift. That's the better tool to edify one another. But Jude is talking about building up your own faith, building up yourself on the holy faith. And for that, prayer, the gift of tongues is a good, useful tool because now you're praying something of a personal prayer language that God has given to you. So I would, I would suggest to you, as Paul did in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, that you would desire the gift of tongues. Don't shy away from it. Oh, it's, you know, I don't need that. It may be a great blessing to you. I think you should long to speak in tongues. Paul said, I pray in the Spirit and my Spirit prays. I bless in the Spirit. When you're praying in tongues, you're giving thanks well. And Paul was thankful to God that he spoke with tongues. So I want to encourage you that are believers, some of you that speak in tongues, I encourage you to exercise that gift in your prayer time. Those of you that do not have tongues, I would encourage you, ask the Lord to give you the gift of tongues in your personal, private, devotion, prayer life. It can be a great tool of praying in the Spirit, building up on your most holy faith. The the second thing, talking about building here. So one of the things is praying in the Spirit. Another way to build, verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, does that mean that I have to be really good today so that God will still love me tomorrow? That's not keeping yourself in the love of God. God is love. God does love. God has loved. God wants to love. God's natural inclination is to love. All we have to do is to keep ourselves in it, abiding in relationship with him. It's like the sun shining on a a cloudless day. I mean, all you got to do is go outside and you're in the sunshine. Now you can stay in the shadows, you can stay in the shade, but that doesn't mean the sun's not shining. It doesn't mean God's not loving. Come into the light. The love of God is available, and and Jude encourages us to to keep ourselves there. I I think that means an abiding relationship with the Lord. I'm confident of his love for me. How do I keep myself in his love? Well, I believe that he loves me. 
You know, one way that we kind of get out of that love is we begin to doubt his love. Well, if he loved me, then how come this is happening in my life? Well, if God really loved me, then why are these things going on in my circumstance? And we begin to doubt the love of God. Well, that's not keeping yourself in the love. That's begin to question and doubt God's love based on the moment of circumstance, based on the ups and downs of your life, right? Some days, oh, he really loves me today. I could tell. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. And, and Jude is saying, no, no, keep yourself in the love of God. One way is to know and believe the promises of God. God has demonstrated his love for you in that while you and I were sinners, Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins. That's the evidence of his love. Ever doubt the love of God? Remember the cross. Remember the expression of his love. And that keeps you in his love. But what if I fall away? What if I sin? What if I, I, I do something that I know God doesn't love? Confess your sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. You know, you're gonna, you may have, we do, we have missteps in our walk. Well, make those missteps short journeys. Don't make them into long detours. Don't make them into long road trips. Make them immediately a heart that repents and say, oh God, forgive me. That's how you keep yourself in the love of God. You maintain that relationship, that open heart with heaven. When you sin, you confess your sin and he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. And so you receive that mercy and then you walk in this abiding. Jesus said, I'm the vine, your branches abide in me. It's a loving relationship And I think it's what Jude is encouraging. You want to contend for the faith? You've got to keep yourself in love. This is the way you build yourself up on your most holy faith. Finally, this idea of building. He tells us to look for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. To me, this is Jude just encouraging us to keep an eternal perspective. How do I build my faith? I remember that it's for eternity that God is leading me. And then the circumstance, the moment, the up and down, the trial, those have their challenge, but I still remember it's God's mercy that's bringing me into eternity. I'm on my way to eternal life. And that thought, that promise, that remembrance, that looking for Jesus, ready for his return, an expectancy that God has something for us for eternity. And that helps build and keep me growing in faith. We're talking about contending for the faith. We need to remember. We need to build. And we also, I think thirdly, we need to help. Take a look at verse 22. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Interesting, Jude, in his exhorting us to contend for the faith, he says, listen, you need to help one another in this. You need to be looking to help your brother, your sister, as they too are trying to walk and contend in faith. And he says something very interesting. On some, he says, have compassion. You know, some people, what they really need is just a loving brother or sister to come alongside and comfort them, encourage them. 
Hey, don't give up. God's with you. Hey, how can I help? Let's, let's do this together. On some, have compassion. Just uh, have empathy with them, what they're going through. Help them in their circumstance. Encourage them in the faith. Maybe they've misstepped. Maybe they've even gotten entangled in some sin. A compassion. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Oh, brother, it's the kindness of God that would lead you to repentance. Let me pray with you. Let's, it's not too late. You're not too far. It, God loves you. He'll forgive you. Let's get back on track spiritually. This compassion, this appeal to mercy. On some, we just, people just need to be encouraged. But he says, make a distinction. In other words, some compassion is appropriate on others. You need to save them with fear. You need to pull them out of the fire. You know, some people just need, you know, when somebody's on fire, they don't need comforting words. They just need somebody to throw a blanket over them and get them out of there. They just need to be rescued from the direction that they're going. Listen, some people just need a strong warning, a a, a strong, loving Christian rebuke. Brother, what are you doing? You can't go there anymore. That can't be your place of hanging out. You know where that's going to lead you. What are you doing? Hey, stop that. What's this you're doing? Who's that person you're talking with? What's this relationship you're meddling with? Oh no, stop that. The Lord loves you. The Lord saved you. You need to come out of that right now. Let's encourage one another. Let's sharpen one another to love and to good works. Pull them out of the fire. Jude is saying, listen, as we contend for the faith, we've got to keep an eye out for each other. And there'll be some that just need a a, a moment of compassion. There'll be others that will need getting them out of the fire. Just a good kind of rescuing them, he says, with fear, trembling that, oh man, where you're going is trouble. Let me help you out. Finally, contending for the faith, I believe, includes worshiping Jesus. He says there in verse 24, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Jude closes with this doxology, this glorifying and praising of God. But he reminds his readers, he reminds us today in the Holy Spirit to remember and to worship Jesus. Contending for the faith includes an appreciation and worship of what Jesus Christ has done. First of all, he's able to keep you from stumbling. That's a good reminder. It's going to take more than willpower. It's going to take more than just this determination. It's going to take the grace of God. It's going to take Jesus in my life. Jesus, you're the one that keeps me. You're the one that keeps me on track. You're the one that I've got to stay close to. You're the strong one in this relationship, and I need your grace. He's able to present you faultless before the the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Wow, that's a powerful truth. How can you and I be presented faultless before God except by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ? You know, I sense something when we, in our worship today, both services, just a real strong sense of his presence and spirit in worship. And what gives that confidence that we can come into his presence and say, you're worthy of it all, Lord. 
How can we even rightfully be there except by the grace and the forgiveness? It's he's the one that's made me faultless. I'm made faultless because the righteousness of Christ has become mine through my faith in Christ. And that gives me access. That gives me this opportunity by Christ to come into his glory with exceeding joy. Contending for the faith is is walking in confidence that I belong to him. And that's where the exceeding joy comes from. Ever feel like maybe your joy is just kind of exceeding is not the word to define your joy. God wants you to enjoy that. God wants you to experience that. And it's this worship of Christ, remembering what he's done for you and declaring to him, God, our savior, he alone is wise to him belong glory and majesty, dominion. That means all authority and power, both now and and forever, keeping your eyes on Jesus, contending for the faith is, is walking and living in these practical things that Jude gives us. And it includes just a worship life, a, a remembering and focusing on Jesus. Let's be honest, sometimes we don't feel like worshiping. Sometimes it's hard to kind of muster up that, that sense of his presence. Well, those are the times we do it by faith because he is with you. He, he does love you. He has forgiven you. You do have access to come boldly into the throne of God, not on your own merit, not on your own righteousness, but because of what Christ has done for you. And that's worthy of consideration. That's worthy of contending in our own hearts and for the faith and for our generation that needs the gospel. The writer of Hebrews said, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you today for this short letter, but Lord, it's packed with some wonderful truth. And we're reminded today, Lord, that that there are pretenders. There are people that are unsincere and looking to take advantage. There are Doctrines, teachings, ideas, Lord, that are disruptive and look to steal us away from these truths. But Lord, we're contenders and we're willing to contend for the faith, Lord. We're willing to to remember those things that you have taught us from your word. Lord, we're willing to build up on our faith by, by praying, by by walking with you and keeping your love alive, keeping ourselves in your love by these practical ways. Lord, we're able to, by contending for the faith, we're able to help one another. And Lord, we're able to worship you today because of all that you've done. You've, you've kept us and you've presented us faultless in your presence. As your heads are bowed today and we close in prayer, I do want to give opportunity if you're here today and you want to respond to the Lord. It may be that you are here today and you, you're not in the light. You're not, you've not kept yourself in the love of God. Maybe, maybe you've never really come to this place of salvation, this place of being righteous before God, allowing what Christ has done for you at the cross to cleanse you, to renew you. If you're here today and you want to receive Christ for the first time, we'll pray and God will meet you. And you'll be born again. Maybe you're here today and you need to come back to the light. 
you've drifted away, your, your life's far from the Lord, you've gotten yourself entangled in, in some circumstance, maybe sinful, maybe just overwhelmed with cares of this life, and you're not contending for the faith. In fact, your faith is just barely, barely alive. I'd like to pray for you too. Maybe you need to rededicate, recommit your heart, contend again for this faith that God has handed to you once and for all. So if you're here today, you want to receive Christ for the very first time, or if you would like to rededicate, recommit your life to Christ, I would ask you just to raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you. I'll bless you up front here, on the aisle there, hand in the middle, another hand in the middle section there. God bless you. Another hand in the middle, amen. On the right, on the aisle, God bless you too. My right, there on the aisle, God bless you as well. Anyone else? The Lord's speaking to you. A good number have responded. The Lord loves you. Oh, this is the time. Amen. God bless you. This is the time to come to His love. This is the time to keep yourself in His love. Just before I pray, anyone else? Raise your hand. Lord, for these hearts responding to you today, I pray that you would meet them with such love and such grace that they would know for certain that your word and your promises are true. It's not based on their performance. It's not based on their emotions or their circumstance. It's not based on any of the the winds of thought that have blown through their thinking, their mind, their family, their situation. That this truth is based on you and you alone. You alone are wise. You alone are our Savior today. And Lord, for these hearts, I pray that they would come to you in just an open and honest way and say, Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me from going my own way. Cleanse me from my sin, not because I deserve it, but because you love me. I'm coming to your love today. I'm keeping myself in your love today. Forgive me. I believe that you died on that cross for me and rose from the dead and you're alive right now to love me, to change me, to help me. And that's my request of you today, Lord. God, I pray that you would hear that prayer and meet it in a powerful and spiritual way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. We pray you have been blessed by this sermon. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.